The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. And the question is, uh, why are we always saved by grace? Why is it God's always, his motivation in saving people is grace? And what in the world is grace anyway? Well, grace, what we typically call it, what people usually give you a definition, is uh, unmerited favor. It really has to do with, it's much deeper than that in, in, in volume. It's the fact that God gives himself freely to us. And uh, we all experience the outpouring of his blessings simply in the relationship we have with him. And so we had come to him by faith, believing his promises, believing what he's done for us. We believe we can rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. But we want to look in chapter 2 of Ephesians 2, where he talks about this very issue, um, and notice what he says. Uh, let me, I want to begin reading verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Let me explain those three things. Uh, when he says that we uh, were formerly living in the lusts of the flesh, the flesh is that part of us, it's the effect of the fall, the effect of man rebelling against God. And the way that it feels and looks is that it's selfishness. It's giving vent to the fact we, we put our needs and our desires first. And so the lust of the flesh, if you go and look at them in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, you'll find they're just they're acts of selfishness. I always look out for myself first. I want to fill my needs, what I feel are my needs, first. And so he says this was, the, this was the condition we were in. We were living in this condition of living according to selfishness, always looking out for ourselves. What are the two great commandments? And, and love your neighbors yourself. So here, think of this. This is the great commandment. Now, this is the commandment that someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? And he said, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's the exact opposite of the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh are me fulfilling my desires rather than worrying about what you want. <laughs> and that's, that's, you don't even have to, have you noticed you haven't even had to teach your kids that? They just, they just pick up on that because they've watched you. <laughs> and so what we do is that we give in to these desires of the flesh and it's the most destructive part of life. In fact, he attributes it to Satan and to his minions who are always trying to seduce people into throwing off their love for God and simply living for themselves. Think about the times you thought about maybe changing your whole life situation. And of course, what you want to do, well, this is often the desire we have, is I want to get myself in a situation where I don't have to be paying so much attention to everybody else and their needs and simply be able to focus on myself and what I need. In fact, people will tell you that. If you're down or you're having trouble, they'll say, well, you just need to focus on yourself. That's not true. 
That's the worst thing you can do is just focus on yourself because where it leads, you won't want to go. It leads down a path of selfishness and uh, following the example of, of Satan in his, in his value system. And so he says uh, in, in verse 6, let me go back a verse or two, back to verse 4, I'm sorry. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, the kind of death he's talking about here, this is the first reason he gives that, we, that this is why God always saves by grace. It's because you and I need it desperately. We could never come to have a saving relationship in relationship with the living God without his grace. And the reason is, is because we've been ruined by sin. Now, when I say ruined, I don't mean you're just awful and you're, you're, uh, you have no use and, and no, no uh, positive qualities. He's talking about ruin for the thing that you were created for. What were you created for? Well, according to the Bible, you were created for a relationship with the living God. You were created to live in relationship with the God who created you and who owns everything. He has everything. Everything came into existence through him. In John chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the personal agent of creation. It says everything came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so uh, what he offers us is what we cannot achieve on our own because he is the God of the universe. And so he says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, this verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's really something to think that Jesus Christ, after the resurrection, he went and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The Father said to him, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Why? Well, because he's the king of the kingdom of God, and he's going to reign in the kingdom. And so he sits at the right hand of the Father. But not only that, it says here in this verse that we come to sit with him. That is, we are in Christ when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are with him, and he is with us. And so we even are said to be seated at the right hand of God in the presence of Christ. Then he says this, verse 8. These are glorious words. For by grace you have been saved through faith, by unmerited favor, by the favor of God that you didn't earn and you don't deserve, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, this being saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not that you beg for it and ask for it. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world because you were asking for him. He came into the world because you needed him. And so he comes into the world and he stands in our place in this world as a servant of Christ. He did just the opposite of what the first Adam did. The first Adam gave in to the desires of his own heart, and he rebelled against God and plunged the entire human race into this condition of being alienated from God, far from him, without a relationship with him. And he's going to go on and talk about how this left us completely alone and, and separated from the God that created us for himself. And then he says this, after he says, we've been saved by, by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not because you work for it, not because you finally got your life together and you lived six months, a year or two years perfectly. And then God finally said, OK, you deserve it. Come on in and you can be in my family. You can be a part of the kingdom of God. That's not what happened. And that's why he says this. 
not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. For we are his workmanship. Now notice that. He says, not of works, because we're his workmanship. Guess what the word workmanship is? Does anybody happen to know? Pardon me? Wait a minute. <laughs> That's right. I forgot Mike was here. I wouldn't ask that question. Yeah. I didn't want anybody to, have to be able to answer that. The, the word workmanship is poema. It's his work of art. He created us to accomplish his purposes, his, his glory, to reflect his glory in a way that people could see the outshining of the glory of God. So he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see that? This is really important in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that, so that we would walk in them. Now think about this a minute. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. In other words, he, when he saves a person, he saves them to use, to use them in this world, in this fallen world, as an example of the glory of God being manifested in a person. When, when we look in the face of a believer, we're looking in the face of a person who has experienced the glory of God through salvation. And so he says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, which means the, those people in the human race were not the people of God, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by those so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. So these are the blessed, this is the blessed community, and, and the, we're separate from Christ, who is the king of glory, the king of the kingdom of God. And we were separated from, they were separated from him. He's talking to these Gentiles who had never had any relationship with the living God or with his son. And he says, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. The covenants of promise are kind of like a marriage covenant that's made and we make promises to each other. I still remember all the promises my wife made to me at our wedding. And I don't let her, let her forget it either. Because these promises are like a possession. They're like, they're, like a, a, uh, they're like a treasure to us. And so he says, but you, he's talking to these Gentiles who don't know Christ, he says, you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, that is, you were alienated, far from God, he says, have, you have been brought near to the blood of, through the blood of Christ or by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. That he's talking about he's our peace with God. He's the one who came and did what was necessary for us to have peace with God, to be at peace with God. So we're not at war with God. We're not worried about him uh, turning against us. We, he is our father, and we are in him because of Jesus Christ. And he says, you were formerly brought near by the blood of Christ. I'd like to explain something to you. Uh, in this chapter, it's more vivid than any place else. And that is, there are two, two things that we are told that we have received. Wonderful, wonderful gifts from the work of Christ in standing in our place, in being faithful to the Father to the point of death. He died on the cross. And, and what he says is this, the blood he shed provides forgiveness for your sins. Isn't that something? You know, if you were to go rob a bank right now, and they caught you, they had evidence, they caught you, and they tried you, and the only way you could get rid of that guilt was to pay the penalty. Now, if the penalty is 40 years, and you're as old as I am, uh, 
Forget it. It's all over. You see, but what God has done, what he sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for us. And that's, that is emphasized in this word blood. He shed his blood. The reason it is, is that in the Old Testament, they kept offering sacrifices, remember? And those sacrifices, the shedding of blood, was a picture of violent death under the judgment of God. And so they would put these animals forward as, as substitutes for themselves. And God, they would, the priest would slay the animal, the blood would be shed, and that blood was a picture of their forgiveness. Now here's the problem. If you're a Christian, you know this. I can have my sins forgiven, but I'm still a sinner. I once had a guy, I've told you this before, I was at a pastor's conference, and he, a pastor, one of the pastors asked this question I was teaching on some things, and he said, you don't really think a Christian could do that, do you? I said, I think a Christian could do just about anything. And that's because I know all of you. And you know, and you know me. Right? We recognize we're not perfect. We are perfectly, our standing is perfect before God. Our sins have been completely forgiven. But what we need, and which is emphasized in this same passage as, well, as Romans 6, is we need the cross. The blood is the picture of our forgiveness. The cross of Jesus Christ is the picture of power over sin. And the only way that God can transform us is if we come to understand the cross of Jesus Christ. We begin to rest in who Christ is as a resurrected Savior. And we begin to experience the power of God in delivering us. So I don't have to live a life of temptation, giving into temptation day after day after day. He actually can empower me to live for him. He can empower you to live for him, to overcome the temptation to be rebellious, and uh, to be independent, to say, I don't care what God says. I know better than God. Aren't there a lot of commandments that you think you know better than God? Don't lie. You don't want to compound the problem. Yeah, there's all kinds of things in the Bible that it gives us restrictions about things, that God has given us his commandments. And we think, why should I do that? Because the God who created this universe has commanded you. For example, it tells us we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and also we are to love our enemies. Remember Jesus saying that in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, love, and he's, in the context, he's talking about Jews loving Jews and hating Gentiles. And, but he says, but I tell you, in contrast, love your enemies. Do good to those who want to do harm to you. Bless those who curse you. Well, how in the world could that be right? That's a command of Jesus Christ. Have you ever just intuitively done that? Where you've loved people who've mistreated you, lied about you, or something like that? Haven't you, have you ever found yourself motivated by the Holy Spirit to want to actually minister to this person, care for this person, even though you knew that it's kind of like this story that you heard this morning from Luke? Uh, Jesus is, is dining with a a Pharisee, who's invited, a Pharisee who had invited him to his house, and they're reclining at table. Now, reclining at table was the practice in that day, in that culture. That the way they would set the table was they, it was a low table, no chairs, and you, you reclined. You laid down on, and you put your weight on one elbow, and you ate food together that way. So he's, and, and because the Pharisee was probably a wealthy man, probably what was going on is they were eating in the courtyard in the front of the house. You know, kind of like a front yard patio. So there they're reclining. 
And this woman comes walking by who happened to be, happened to hear that he was there. And so she comes to him. Why in the world does she come? She's a woman of the street. She's a sinner, as they said. And she wanted to meet Jesus because something had happened in her life. She had heard the message that Jesus was preaching and she believed it. And she was forgiven. And she was right with God. Now, of course, there are probably very few other people knew it, but she had come to know that she had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. She is so happy about it, she hears that he's there, so she wants to go and see him. She, just want, she doesn't just want to go see him. She goes there, and she begins to weep. She's staying at his feet because his, their feet would be out, pushing out outwardly. And so she walks up, and she stood there over his feet, and she begins to weep, and her tears begin to fall on his feet. Now, I know that a lot of people, you read this, and you think, yuck, what is that all about? What, what in the world is going on here? This woman is overwhelmed that she's been forgiven by free grace. And so she wets his, his feet with her tears. She stoops down and dries him, his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee says, what you're thinking right now, that's absurd and maybe even obscene. And then she's drying and then she, then she pulls out a, a vial that's worth a lot of money, and she begins to anoint his feet and his head with this oil. In other words, this is why Jesus, when the Pharisee complained to him, he couldn't be a prophet, because if he was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. And you know, Christians, you know you're not supposed to let sinners touch you, right? That's what religious people say. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that you're supposed to love people, even people that you find it very hard to have anything to do with. But who did Christ die for? Did he die for any sinners? I would have you raise your hand, but I won't do that to you. He saved you, hasn't he? Because you put faith in him, and you were forgiven, and you have been brought into the very presence of God. And so... What Jesus is saying is because we were so damaged by our fall into sin that we could not, we couldn't freely exercise our faith in Christ. So what, God, what does God do? He saves us by grace. He gives us something. And let me tell you what Jesus, what Jesus has arranged and the Father has arranged to give us when we hear the gospel. The gospel is this. this the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's, this is what it says. This is the good news. The good news about Jesus Christ. You know the difference between good news and good, good advice. You've heard, you've heard that before. The good news is this is what God has done. And the good news goes like this, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. What he means by that, it told us that in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, it told us exactly what was going to happen, what he was going to do. Not in, not in all the great detail, but in a lot of detail, like the detail of the city he's going to be born in, where he's going to live, what his life is going to be like about the cross. And so the, the gospel, the good news is this. God sent his son into the world to deal with our sin problem. The way he dealt with it was he stood in our place and suffered the penalty we should have suffered. And he lives a life that we should have lived but didn't, and he lives it for us. And then God raises him from the dead after he's killed after he is crucified, the Father raises him up. And the reason is so that people could see that God accepted the work of Jesus on their behalf. 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And so here's this woman who's experienced the gospel. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet, but he's going to, and she believes on him. She puts her trust in this one, and she has received forgiveness of sins. Sometimes people probably wonder, well, how do you know if you have become a Christian? Oh, you'll know. When you truly put faith in Christ, you can feel what it's like to be free of the guilt that you have been carrying around. And he sets you free. And that's what the gospel is all about. So God has to save us by grace, first of all, because salvation is an extravagant event, extravagant gift that God has given to us. You've been saved, it says in verse uh, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. That little phrase there is, it really catches your eye. It, it would catch Mike's eye. Because it says this, you are having been saved. Now what that means is, you've already experienced salvation, and you're in a state of having been saved. You're not waiting just to be saved in the future. You have been saved, and you have a relationship with God. You've been set free from the condemnation of the judge. And you now have a relationship with him. And that's what he says. He says, you have been saved through faith. You have you have been saved, and now you remain saved. You, you live as a saved person. Saved in what sense? Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. You mean, do I think that you're not going to die? Well, if Jesus comes tomorrow, you're not going to die. Well, I might. I might not have a whole lot of time. But, uh, but most of us are healthy enough. We're going to make it through a couple days. And if, when Jesus comes... We are going to be brought into the presence of God by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to them, you've been saved by grace through faith, and it's a gift of God. In other words, here's the point, is that the the salvation that God offers originated in God. It was his idea. It was what he wanted to do. Do you ever have thoughts like that about your kids or grandkids? Some of you don't have any grandkids, you poor things. But... uh, and when you have grandkids, it's amazing how thoughts come into your mind, how you want to, you want to bless their life. You want, to, you want to put something in their life. Well, God, he had this idea of saving us from sin and making us right with him so that we could spend eternity learning about the most glorious person in all the universe. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he saves us, and he brings us into the kingdom of God. And, and he says that this is a gift of God. It's a gift he gave to you. We, we tried this this Christmas because I think, how many grandkids I have? I can't even remember. I have a lot of grandkids and a few children. And uh, so we got, we got to think, you know what, maybe it would be better if we did something different for gift exchanges. So we tried, to, you know, the white elephant thing. It was terrible. <laughs> it, it just didn't work because... What you want to do in those cases is you want to give of yourself to someone you love and care about. And that's why we do it. We don't do it so that we can get out of spending too much money. I don't have too much money. It doesn't matter. Um, But what we do have is we have a love for those that God has put into our life. All of you have people in your life that are objects of your love. But what the Bible says is that we are the objects of God's love. 
and that the reason he has saved us is that he loves us, and his salvation is glorious. I have a little letter here. I wasn't going to read it because I thought I'd break down and cry. But if I do, you just have to suffer with me a minute. This is, this is a letter that Paul Lee gave to me. It's a, it's a letter from a Chinese pastor's wife because they're in the midst of the most horrible kind of persecution you can imagine. One of the things that kicked this off several months back, maybe it's been over a year, but uh, they, they started bulldozing church buildings where they met. And in this one church building, they dug a hole, and then they would push the building into the hole. The pastor's wife, in that case, she stood in front of the bulldozer. She wasn't going to move. She was going to protect the church building. And they pushed her in the hole, too. It's been that kind of wretchedness that's been going on. So she writes this. But listen to what she's emphasizing. This is, this is amazing. Uh, this, this is an explanation. This prayer was written by a Chinese pastor's wife who spent over a week visiting members of Early Rain Covenant Church. She spent time providing care and encouragement to those women whose husbands have been arrested. This prayer shares her heart after her time in Qingdu. She says, Dear Heavenly Father, she's praying to the Father, Dear Heavenly Father, our hearts are full with thanks and praise for you. Thank you for watching from heaven and all that is happening here on earth, and that you yourselves from all eternity have already known what will happen tomorrow. Not only so, since beginning you have kept each one of your children by your holy and gracious hands, every step that we take and every thought that we have are all within your will. She's rejoicing that God knew from the foundation of the world that he was going to allow this persecution to take place as a manifestation of his love for his children. You think, well, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. Oh, it's, it's blessed. Listen to this. Oh, Lord, our hearts are moved to praise and awe. In these moments, our hearts find assurance before you. For we sincerely know that as we see persecution today, and as we see perseverance, courage, endurance, faltering, compromise, weakness, shown by the brothers and sisters under persecution, all these are within your will. Isn't that amazing that she would mention all the failures that took place? She says, I, knew that, I know that you knew this already. Lord, with all that is happening, may you truly awaken the Chinese house churches. Awaken each sleeping soul. Awaken our hearts have, that have long since been captured by this world. Awaken us from our, hearts, from our hearts of complacency and indulgence. Awaken our hearts that are so madly self-absorbed. Oh, Lord, let us be truly touched once again by your Calvary love. It's called Calvary love because that's where Jesus died on Calvary. That's where he manifests his love for us when he was willing to lay down his life to save us. To see once again the baby who was born 2,000 years ago who came down from heaven. She's talking about his second coming now. She's anxious to see him, having left his glory above to come down to earth, even being born in a manger because... There was no place for him at the end. And since you were born, not a single thing you have done on earth was for your own sake. You ever think about that? I never thought about that. Jesus never did one thing for himself. Yet this world has fervently persecuted you. This world was not satisfied until it had nailed you to the cross. Yet the wonder of yourself was just that by such a cross you have accomplished redemption. That's buying you, buying your freedom. O oh Lord, we thank you 
just as your days were on earth, so our days also, for the students are not above the teacher. Lord, we know the persecution that you went through. Lord, we have done so little in this world. No matter how much we have done, we are not more than, than those unworthy servants who have already, who have merely done their duty. Oh Lord, it is no more than that. Oh Lord, we much desire that you may use us, little as we are, to serve every person that you have placed around us. Every person in my path, I pray that you would use me to bless them. When they are thirsty, may we give them a drink. When they are hungry, may we give them food. When they are naked, may we clothe them. When they are sick, may we come to care for them. And when they are in prison, may we go visit them. O Lord, we know that everything you have told us to do unto the least of the brothers and sisters, we will have done it unto you. When you serve needy people, you're serving Christ. O Lord, we pray that through this, all of our body, she's praying for her church, all of our body and all of your church will experience how long and wide and high and deep is your love. Lord, we thank you. May you yourself truly fulfill all these things and may your own name, your own name be lifted high through all these things, even if they are sentenced to prison, even if they have no way to be set free, even if their wives and children are left by themselves to be scorned, ridiculed, and profane. But in the end, Christ's name will be exalted and your glory will be seen by the whole world. There's a movement uh, in China. It's called Back to Jerusalem. And what they've been doing for many, many years, decades, they have been, they've been traveling back to Jerusalem and on the way they plant churches. They establish churches on this path, go back to Jerusalem. You see, they want to see the gospel spread, and they know that the best way to see it spread is for churches to be established and begin to live the gospel in their community and begin to explain why that they live the way they live. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We give thanks to you. We wait for you to come again. We wait for that wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what the Bible talks about when we, get to, when we see Christ. There'll be a wedding feast. We wait for you to come down from heaven and judge all things. And we wait for the day that will surely come when you yourself will wipe away every tear. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that we have such a hope to live each day for you. The Lord that you have shown us, the love that you have shown us from the cross compels us to live every day solely for you. May you hear our prayers. We give all the glory and praise to you. We give thanks, and we pray all these in one heart. That is, we're together on this, and we're, so we're asking you this with one heart. We give all the glory and praise to you. We give thanks and pray all these things in one heart. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. How many times did she attack our enemies in that letter? Did you hear that? How many times she talked about getting revenge? Isn't that amazing? You see, we, uh, we've been given salvation free. It's a gift. It's an undeserved gift. There's no merit in the one who's saved. We don't, we don't manifest merit and then we get salvation. We get salvation and then we come to understand who, who God is and who Christ is. We begin to serve him, to lay down our lives for him because we have a desire to bless him and to praise his name by our, our lifestyle and our activity. No merit is in the one who is saved. Grace is opposed to merit on man's part. God gives us something that we don't deserve. That's what salvation is.
It's an undeserved gift. God's law has been violated, and as guilty lawbreakers, we could only look forward to the infliction of the penalty. God was under no necessity to provide salvation. It's by grace. That's what grace means. God gives what we don't deserve, but what he wants to give. This is an expression of his heart. And he says, and that not of yourselves, those who believe. It's not of yourselves that being saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. The source or cause is not in you. Credit for the entire process of salvation must be given to God. It was his idea from the beginning until he's completed it. Not as a result of works, us earning it, that is human effort of any kind. Salvation cannot be achieved by human performance or any attempt to earn God's approval. Why is that? He says, so no one can boast. Instead of boasting, he wants us to praise God. He wants us to give thanks to the God who saved us freely, and we received it without cost. Isn't that amazing? When you hear the gospel, you don't have to start saving money until you can purchase the salvation. That's what Jesus did. He purchased it to give it to you as a gift by simply believing and receiving it. And so God created the Christian for his glory. We are his workmanship, poema, his work of art. In other words, he saved us in such a way that he's going to allow us to work for him because that's what we're going to want to do for his glory. We want people to see the glory of God in our lives. And so we don't work for him because we're trying to earn something. We work for him because we want to display who he is. We really want people to ask us, why would you do that? My wife works in the food pantry down here on Tuesdays, and one day she was late, and so I asked her, where was she? And she met this lady who was really down and out, was living in a little old camper down the road, and she said she got to talking to her and just sharing Christ with her and stuff, and so she ends up going down there to see her little house. It was just a little shack. This is a homeless woman. Why would she do that? She's got me. I actually take a shower every day. Well, most days, anyway. And uh, I'd, I'd clean up, dress up, and look as good as I do right now. Isn't that something? And she goes down here to visit this lady who's got nothing to offer her. Why would she do that? Why do people do that kind of thing? Because we've been given a gift that's so glorious and so great and so beyond measure that we want to give ourselves away the way that God gave himself away to us. And so that's the reason. That's what motivates the church. It's not that, that uh, we're going to achieve something that everybody's going to be in awe of. It's that we want Christ to be known and seen in us. And so that's why we, we live for this. So this is what this text tells us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He gives it to us freely. And I'll tell you, the next time you lead someone to Christ, if you've never led anybody to Christ, when you lead someone to Christ, you are going to be so overjoyed you can't contain yourself. You're going to tell all your friends about it because it's the greatest thing that I've ever experienced, leading a person to Christ, having them come to rest their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life and a place in the family of God. 
and a place in the kingdom of God, a place in the local church. And they're going to be loved by God's people. If you've never traveled anywhere and met Christians in other lands, you'd be amazed at what it's like to be loved by people that are so different from you. And you're wondering, what is this? They just have something about Americans? They really like Americans? No, not really. That's not it. It's that they love they love their own people. They love Christians. They love the people of God. And so if you go and visit another country and you get among some believers there, you're going to find out they actually care about you. That's the way life in the body of Christ is. And so this is why he says, this is how... This is how God brings his people into the family of God. It's what he's done for us. What he's going to tell us in the next chapter is, now you need to walk in the Spirit. Uh, I was thinking about it, uh, maybe assigning this to one of our guys, just to teach us about how to walk in the Spirit. <laughs> I'm kidding, but this is why. Just ask somebody, would you know how to tell a person how to walk in the Spirit? I've never had one person ever tell me, yeah, I could tell him, and then I, I've never had him tell me. And so in the next chapter, we're going to find out, because this is what he's talking about, how to walk in the Spirit. Except I'm in the wrong book. I, I got back one book back. I might just jump back there to talk about it. See, what, what I want, what I want for, to happen in our lives is that we take seriously the nature of this salvation he's given to us, that it's so glorious we, could, we can't even begin to describe it. And God hasn't told us, okay, once it sinks in and you know what you've received from me, I want you to start making payments. Isn't that the way our world works? That's the way it works in, in America. You know, we'll, we'll do something really good for you, but then we expect you to start giving. Except you, we expect you to start paying back what's been going on, what God has done. But I want to tell you, he's given you a free gift if you believed on Jesus. And you couldn't pay for it because he's paid for it in his son. So what I'm praying for is that this week you would be made aware. You would be aware of what you've received. And you would be living a life before people and in, in response to people and realize, wait a minute, I have eternal life. I have peace with God. I have the peace of God residing in, in me. So I want, to, I want God to use me to talk to other people. I want God to use me to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great, great, great privilege that is. There's nothing like it. As somebody who's been living for Christ for a while, and I know it looks like everybody here has been living for Christ for a long time, but uh, find you somebody to talk to. And just ask them, what's the greatest joy? What is the greatest joy of your Christian life? What is it? I'd love to hear what they say. And you would love to hear what they say. God's called us. He saved us. Saved us freely. Saved us completely. Saved us with unmerited favor. You can't pay him back. He won't allow you to do that. If you made a deal with God and said, you know, God, I want to I respond to all this goodness you've done for me, so I'm going to start... I'm going to start giving you this much money every month. You know, like the name it and claim it people say. You start, you start, you know, putting your two dollars in or whatever it is, or two thousand or two million, or buying somebody an airplane. 
And uh, let me tell you, that's not what he wants. He just wants you. He just wants you. He wants your life. Remember that song uh, by, who is it? what is his name? Um, he wrote this song, I Don't Want Your Money. I don't, it's Keith Green. I don't need your money. I want your life. That's all he wants. He just wants your life. He just wants, he wants you to be a part of his family. And that's why he's calling you. He's inviting you to come by faith and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be a part of his family for all eternity. For all eternity. Let's pray. In fact, I'm going to have you stand before I pray. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing another song. It's okay. You can be standing when we sing. Our Father, we are humbled by your love for us and what you've done for us. It's so far beyond what anything we could imagine. We thank you so much for a Savior who gave himself completely for us. We thank you, Father, for the gift of salvation that you give simply by faith. We thank you, Father, that you've given us a gift, something we could not earn, we could never obtain. We just must receive it by faith. And I pray if there's anybody here this morning and has not yet rested their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus, that the Spirit of God would open their eyes to the glory of God in the face of Christ, and they would turn to him, believe on him, and experience real life, eternal life, lived every day because of who he is. We thank you for this time we've had together. Please bring this message home to our hearts. This glorious gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Respond to this message or learn more. Please visit calvarytruth.org.